Well, it's good to see you all. It feels good to be back at Huntington Beach. I feel so much at home at this place, and I love you guys. I love this place for a couple of reasons. One, um, you guys are very hospitable. You've always embraced and engaged and encouraged me whenever I've come here. So thank you. I, I know sometimes I make you guys do a little crazy things, and you guys just go with the flow. And um, um, so I appreciate you for that. The other thing that I really appreciate about you is your steadfastness and your faithfulness. You've been faithful through the times of the season. Seasons. This church has been built on the backs of people who've been steadfast and strong, and I see that character. And no wonder it's an attractive place for people to come. And so I want to say thank you, and I appreciate you. Thank you for continuing to indulge me. You know, um, it's, it's not easy um, to come back and follow, you know, Caleb, a good-looking dude who seems like he stepped out of a magazine, and then you've got Graham, who looks like a Greek god, chiseled, like, you know, somebody to put him together and kind of chiseled him out, you know? Then last week you had uh, Kyle, who's a good-looking dude, and then today you have me, you know, this black dude who you cannot understand what the heck he's saying. But you still indulge me, and so I feel at home, so thank you. Um, one of the things I was telling the other guys is that I've been here long enough for me at least now to warrant at least a microphone that will blend in with my skin. So get me a black microphone, you know? This thing doesn't work. It's not working. This one is, you know, you can see it. Just kidding. I, and I, I can be... I can be corny sometimes. Um, glad to be here anyway. Um, Kyle yes, uh, last week spoke about uh, Christmas is when the series of Christmas is. And Kyle talked about Christmas is hope. And he talked about hope being in the person of Jesus Christ. Today we're going to look at Christmas being joy. Christmas is joy. So what is joy? We're going to look at what joy is. We're going to look at what false joy is. We're going to look at how we can experience it. We can see, we're going to look at how we lose it and then how we find it. And maybe even look at who are some surprising guides to finding joy this Christmas. And I pray that you can join me along this journey. It's going to be quick and fast and short and sharp and shiny. So we're going to go fast. Now, one of the things that you realize about joy, to understand joy, you have to uh, you know, contrast it with happiness. Whenever you ask, even the dictionary, and you look at the dictionary and you look for the definition of joy, they say happiness or pleasure. Time magazine did a, a study on the new science of happiness, and they found out that happiness is found in three things. Can you guess what those three things are? Number one, pleasure. Number two, engagement or relationships. Number three, meaning. And then the study continues to say that out of the three, Pleasure is only 10%. The other 90% is found in relationship and in meaning. Now, that is newsworthy for especially we as Americans because our whole life is in pursuit of pleasure and happiness. The, de the Declaration of Independence, 1776, they said certain rights such as life and the pursuit of happiness. But it's only 10%. So what is joy? What is joy? For us as Christians, we tend to believe that joy is much more meaningful. It's much more deeper than that. And so as we get into this season, we're going to try and look at what is joy. After all, it's the season to be. Tis a season to be. Exactly. It's exactly like that. People don't even want to sing it. Jesus is to be. You know, it feels sometimes forced or coerced. You know, we sing songs like, 
God rest you merry gentlemen, let remember Christmas Day. I don't know what the words are after that and I don't care. You know, we don't even know. Sometimes we just sing these songs and we don't even understand. Now, can I just stop us for a minute here and just pause and reflect on that song that we sing? God rest ye merry gentlemen. Now, when we think of merry gentlemen, we think like little boys who are in little, you know, sc- you know c- uh, scout uniform and, oh, hi, merry gentlemen, you know. But that word is actually much deeper than that. In the, the song was written during the Middle Ages. And Queen Victoria actually liked it and so popularized it because she would have it, people sing, sing that song a lot. But when it sings, God rest ye merry gentlemen, it actually means, merry means mighty. It actually was sung to people like Robin Hood, not scouts. Robin Hood and the, the guys were not merry little gentlemen. They were mighty people. So when you sing that song, merry How about this season? We try and kind of just subvert it a little bit. Let me mess up Christmas for you right now. Can I do that? Anytime you see Mary, say mighty. When somebody tells you Merry Christmas, you say Merry Christmas, but inside just say mighty Christmas. Whenever you see Merry Christmas somewhere, just put mighty. You see, in those days... If you had a mighty, a, a mighty singer, they were called a merry singer. If you had a, mer- a mighty ruler, they would be called a merry ruler. So when we talk about merry Christmas, we're actually talking about a mighty Christmas. And from that mighty Christmas, we might be able to find the meaning of what joy is. So can we subvert Christmas this season? I've messed up see, Merry Christmas for you right now. So anytime, just carry a Sharpie with you. And any place you go and you find they've written Merry Christmas, just strike it and put mighty and run. And, uh, so from now on, it's Mighty Christmas. Mighty Christmas? There you go. So the next time you're singing these songs, have yourself a mighty little Christmas. We wish you a, we wish you a, yeah, we're going to mess it up completely, you know? And now it's messed up from, <laughs> for you completely. You see, Christmas is a time that we even try and manufacture joy. We try and sing these songs, but sometimes we don't even understand the might and the power thereof. And so we're going to look at what joy is. And we're going to look at it uh, from, the, from the perspective of the first Christmas. Now, you see what happens is that we think that we can manufacture or make happiness happen. And so happiness for us is very circumstantial. True joy is much deeper than circumstances. You see, we have tried to manufacture, the dual teaches us that we can purchase joy. We can purchase happiness. A new car, latest this. I'm I'm excited about buying the new iPhone 6 because my contract is over. And I'm excited about that. But that excitement will dwindle in two days and I'll be done with it. Law of diminishing returns. We, We want what we do not have. We think we can purchase it. Then the other thing we think is that we think we can, it, it comes, joy comes from creating the right kind of thing. Think, of, think with me about this sentence. If only I could have a new job. If only I could have a new car. If only I could change my boss. If only I was, for the single people, if only I was married. For the married people, if only I was single and some married people are going if only I could trade my wife for a newer model you know we always think that if only I could if only I could get thinner if only I could lose weight if only I could look younger if only what's your if only I could this morning what is your if only I could and we think 
that this is where happiness is, but this is what we call false joy. False joy is happiness because happiness is circumstantial. It changes with things, and we can't manufacture it, we can't buy it, we can't create it. Joy is much deeper than that. You see, if we look at the Christmas story, we can find a meaning of joy that will actually be much more profound. So look at, look at this with me in Luke 2, 8 to 14. It says this. We're going to read. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, watching, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Now, let's stop there for a moment. Context is everything. Shepherds watching their flock by night. There's a contextual dimension in a story that sometimes we have to get. Now, these shepherds, first of all, were not just, we think of shepherds as old guys with some, with some staff and with a long beard sitting there and just, you know, being bored out of their minds. These shepherds were actually 13-year-old guys, 13-year-old kids, if you may call them. They were 13-year-old guys watching over their flocks. Now, where were they watching? If you look at Genesis 35, it talks about a place known as Migdal Egda. Migdal Egda is a place that actually translates the herd tower. What it was, it was a place one mile north of Bethlehem, four miles south of Jerusalem, that had this huge tower that all the shepherds would gather there and they would be watching the sheep from the tower. Now, the sheep that they were watching are the lambs that were used for the Passover. They were without blemish. They were without fault. These were the same sheep that were going to be used for the Passover. So isn't it interesting that when the announcement of Jesus comes, it comes to 13-year-old boys who are watching over lambs that were going to be used for the Passover. How profound is that? Is that coincidence or is that divine intervention or divine design? There's something intelligent about that. that, And we're going to come back to these shepherds in a little bit. But look at what it continues to say. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of God shone around them, and they were terrified. You see, the standard response whenever an angel appears is, we're terrified. Nobody sees an angel and then says, oh, hi, welcome, howdy, partner, you know. We don't do that. We're terrified at the glory and the power of. But he says, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great, that will cause great joy for all the people. You see, when the angel appears, when you experience the power of God, then we are called not to fear. This morning, the angel of the Lord comes and says, do not be afraid. There's some of you that are afraid this season. Some of you are going to experience the first without a loved member. Some of you are going to have family that brings you pain. Some of you uh, do not even have the financial wherewithal to enjoy Christmas as we would want to enjoy it. The angel of the Lord comes in a powerful and a mighty way and says, be not afraid. Somebody here needs to hear that. Be not afraid. Look at the story continues and it says, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you Good news that will cause great joy for all people. I bring you good news that will bring great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with, an, uh, with, with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven. You see, it's an epic moment. Now, we talk about this story and we think it's nice and cute, but it is 
epic. It's a life-changing moment. But we have to stop to understand the relevance and the power therein. It says, I bring you good news. Now, good news. What is the good news? Good news has to be juxtaposed with bad news. So what is the bad news? The bad news is that the Jews were living in oppression. That's, in fact, that's why they were there in, 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 at that particular time. It was during the census. The census was supposed to create an avenue for taxation. The only good news in those days was Caesar, the Roman power and the Roman rule. So whenever they would say there's good news, the only good news in those days was Caesar is Lord and King, Caesar has overcome another empire, and now we have won, it's victorious. The other time that they would bring good news that would be announced was, the only, was only when a new Caesar was born. So when a new Caesar was born, they would say, I bring you good news. This word good news is a word yongelion, which means, which we get the words evangelize or the gospel. Good news, the gospel. The only gospel at that time was Caesar, his Lord and King and his Savior. So can you imagine how beautiful and how powerful and how mighty when the shepherds were told, I bring you good news of great joy that will cause great joy for all the people. This good news is megas, megas, great news, great news that will cause great joy for everybody. You see, at that particular time, the oppression of Rome was ruling everywhere. But at this particular time, they're being told that a Savior has been born that will deliver you from the oppression. But look at how this Savior comes in. He doesn't come in through mighty powers, comes in meek and mild and humble in a manger. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of it all, humbles himself and comes in in the posture of a little baby. Powerful truths caught up in a little, 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 little um, a package. And we might forget that. We might forget that this is great news for all people. You see, the idea of good news is something that we need today, don't we? What's the great news in the world today? Ferguson? ISIS? All the crazy things that are going, Ebola? There's not great news today. But I believe that we can find joy by realizing who the source of good news is. It says... I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Now, what is great joy? Megas joy. Now, let us look at the context of that word joy. Joy is a word that means that in the Greek is known as kara. Kara, if you find the root word of kara, is the word charis. Does anybody know what charis means? Grace. Charis means grace. So joy comes from a place of having grace, and grace is unmerited favor. You do not deserve it. You do not purchase it. You cannot manufacture it. It's just freely given to you. So if you look at it in that context, Jesus' presence on earth is the, great, is the good news of great joy that will cause great joy for all the people. So Jesus becomes the object of good news. You see... My friends, joy is the presence of Jesus, the gift of grace. Joy is what? The presence of Jesus. Who is? The grace gift. The surprise gift. And if we understand this, if we understand that joy is having the presence of Jesus with us, 
who is the gift of grace that we not deserve, then that should fill us with much more confidence. It's a much, much deeper thing than just having a merry, jolly little Christmas. It is something powerful. It is the presence of God with us. If hope is the person of Jesus Christ, then joy is the presence of Jesus Christ, the gift of grace. I pray that this season, that you may be invaded by, your, by the joy of heaven, that the presence of Jesus may break your routines. Most of us are going to come in and go back into the mundane and the routine. My prayer for you is that this morning, that your life will be so interrupted by grace, by joy, that is the gift and the presence of Jesus, who is the gift of grace. And that as you go out, while your circumstances may not change out there, that your life will be, your perspective of what we talk about, as we sing Merry Christmas, we realize it's a mighty Christmas. As we talk about joy, we realize that joy is the presence and the gift of grace that is in Jesus. You see, at this particular point, joy invades the world. When Jesus comes in, joy, the personification of joy, invades the world. And God's purpose for us from the beginning was to be able to have His presence with us. He wanted us to be joyful. He, wanted, he understood that joy can only be found from His presence. And that's why in Genesis, He comes and visits Adam and Eve. In Genesis, He's walking with them. In Exodus... He is caught up, we, we, we see the picture of Jesus, of God, in a tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant. And then later on in Israel, we find him being uh, personified in this whole idea of the temple. The temple was the idea of God with us, God's presence in Jerusalem. And then at this particular time, we see Jesus coming in the flesh. And today, how has God's presence been come, come to us? Through the Holy Spirit. So we see the personification of God's presence from the past to the present and the future through the Holy Spirit. You see, God embodies this idea of joy. You see, God is the embodiment, is a true gift of joy, and He is the Father of joy. In Zephaniah 3, it talks about that He's a mighty Savior. He is a mighty Savior, and He rejoices over us with singing. He rejoices over us with singing. That is such good news. I wonder what song God sings over you today. You know, I know for Graham and, 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 for, and for Caleb, he's singing for them, shake it off, shake, shake it off, shake it off. You know, what song is he singing over you? For some of you, he's singing, just a small time girl. You know, just keep believing, you know. For some of you, it may be a country song. I don't know what country, I don't understand country song. Any country song lovers in the house? Oh man, I don't understand it. It is the most like, but he's singing over you with country song. You know, I don't know what song he's singing over you. For me, I know what song he's singing over me. There's only one song that God could sing over me. You know, he's the father of joy. He rejoices over us with singing. He is singing over you. I don't know what song he's singing over you. You might be surprised that some 80-year-old woman, he sings over her with, Tan Tan for what? You know, little John. You know, I don't know what song, but he's the father of joy. He rejoices over us with singing. Jesus is the gospel of joy. He 
He is the gospel of joy. He's the good news of joy. Look at what it says in Hebrews 12 too. It says, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the perfect, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross and scorning its shame. Who was the joy that was set before him? You and I. We are the joy. When he thought of us and he thought of having a relationship with us, he said, okay, I'm going to go to the cross for me to restore relationship with us. Jesus is the gospel of joy. And the Holy Spirit is the builder of joy. We read in Galatians 5 that the fruit of the, of the Spirit is love, joy. The hallmark of a Christian or of a follower of Christ is joy. And so we see joy is embodied in the, in the Godhead. And so we see it from the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that we've been given joy. So the only condition for joy, my friends, is God's presence. The only condition for joy is God's presence. And look what it does. It provides strength. It provides strength. In the time that you are going through a difficult and tough time and you need strength, we realize that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Look at what it says in Nehemiah 8.10. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice foods and sweet drinks and send some um, to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. You see, during a very hard time when they were rebuilding the walls and the enemies were coming after them, he says, go have fun, go drink up and eat and give those who don't have anything because the joy of the Lord is your strength. That you can find joy in the midst of difficulty and challenge. Joy is not happiness. Happiness is temporary. Joy is eternal, that you can find it in the most difficult times. Christmas sometimes can be one of the most difficult and tough seasons. But the Father is rejoicing over you with singing. And with that, you can find joy. You can realize that Jesus, the gospel of joy, is with you. You can find out that the Holy Spirit, the builder of joy, is with you. So the presence of the Holy Spirit, the presence of Jesus, the person of Jesus, and the presence of Jesus, who is the gift of grace, is with you. And I pray that during this season, you can find, and, uh, find strength in that. You see, what it does, it also connects us. It connects us to Him. In John 15, Jesus talks about Him being the vine and we being the branches. And He says, abide in me and I'll abide in you. And, and then He says this, I tell you this so that your joy may be full. What's the fullness of His joy? us being connected to Him. And you see, unfortunately, in Western Christianity is that we think that our relationship with God is just this way. We don't realize that it also spreads vertically, horizontally and vertically, in such a way that we are connected to the vine, but then He also connects us with each other. How I pray that one day I'll come to Huntington Beach and when we're singing during time of worship and we're praising, that we can just even be looking at each other and giving each other high fives, saying this is ours, that we can be dancing with each other and looking, this is so great, this is amazing, because this is what joy is. It connects us to Him and then connects us with each other. In such a way that it's not just for me, it's not just my little personal God. And this is where we come in and we are all just now, you know, after we've been crazy and loud on Saturday, we come into church and all of a sudden we're like, you know, it's all about us. But what, a, what, what did it mean for us to even picture this joy being connected to Jesus and then being able to celebrate that together? My, my desire for you, my friends, is that you may realize that it will provide strength, but also connect you with God and also connect you with each other. 
Look at what else it does. It also gives us meaning. I'm not going to read this, but if you read Romans two, uh, uh, chapter 2, and, and it has a, this powerful truth that says that, but we glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope, and hope does not put us to shame because the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts. You see, there is rhyme or reason and there's meaning to everything. Unfortunately, we live through our lives as if there's no meaning to anything. What are you living for? You see, because Christ came, He gives us a meaning for our lives. What's your life about? Is what you're living for worth Christ dying for? Christ's mass, Christ's mass, when Christ died, He saved us. He took it all to Himself so that we can get what we cannot even earn or work for. His undeserved and unmerited favor. And our role is just to receive it. And I pray that during this season, we can realize that, that we've got this unmerited grace that will give us favor and that will give us meaning for our lives. Many years ago, I asked God, what would be my meaning of my life? And I came up with this vision statement that the Lord showed me for me. And he said, Christian, here it is for you. And for me, it is God, you bless me the most when you use me to bless others. I don't have much. I'm not that kind of person who's got a ton of education or a ton of things. I come from very humble backgrounds. But here's what I have. I have people. And for me, my purpose is people. In fact, God showed me something in my tribe where we used to say Adonioido, which is a Kikuyu term. Kikuyu is my native tongue, which means people are the wealth. People are the wealth. I'm wealthy by, human standards, by, by God's standards because I'm wealthy with people. Unfortunately, we chase after things and not realizing that the great things are not things. The greatest things are not things. What's the meaning of your life? Is what you're living for worth Christ dying for? Friends, if you find meaning in your life, then you will find joy. Charles Blake said it this way. He said that the greatness of a person is measured by the cause they live for and the price that they're willing to pay to achieve it. The greatness of a person is, is, is marked by the cause they live for and the price they're willing to pay to achieve it. What are you living for? A bigger house? A better job? Are you just running through life so that you can get to the end of it? What are you living for? For me, God told me it's people. And so wherever I am, I'm in my, I'm in my, I'm in my sweet spot because everywhere I go, there's people. Doesn't matter, I just came back from Germany, found the Germans, they're good people. We had Glühwein, which is a really good drink. You should try it. It's hot red wine that is spiced up. It's amazing. I'm not going to talk about that anytime. But, <laughs> but what are you living for? You see, meaningless does, meaninglessness does not, come, does, not, does not come from being wary of pain. Meaninglessness comes from being wary of pleasure. Pain actually gets us strength. Pleasure ruins us and abandons us. But we are looking for pleasure. We're looking for happiness. Jesus is calling us to a greater thing. He's calling us to joy. Something that is His presence and the realization that He's a grace gift. You cannot work for it. You can only receive it. So how do we experience it? We experience it by realizing that joy is way much more bigger than happiness. You see, Timothy, Paul, and Silas talked to the church in the Thessaloniki and they said, imitate, you've imitated us. And you've imitated the Lord. Um, I, I, he says that 
For you welcome the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. You see, you can find joy in the midst of severe suffering. Some of you are going through some tough and difficult moments. I just talked to a lady yesterday, a family yesterday that called the POD line, the pastor of the day line, and they said they had lost their 27-year-old son. What do you tell them? This morning I heard from the, 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 the press service that somebody had lost, a friend had lost a, a little uh, child. And then I talked to a lady who was in the last service and said, I lost my daughter five years ago. What do you tell them at this particular time? And the only thing that you can rely on is the presence and the power of Jesus. And this lady was so incredible. She told me, Christian, I said, man, it, I'm sure it's not, it doesn't get easier. And she said, no, it actually does because of the presence of Jesus with me. And you're going like, wow, that's such profound truth that I cannot even fathom or even understand. In my humanity, I can't. It's way beyond me. But I believe that having the presence of Jesus then creates a new reality of joy that we cannot even fathom. You see, we can celebrate joy even when things are not going right. You see, the only condition for God's presence, for, for, for joy, is God's presence. Growing up back home, my grandmother would, would grew up in the villages and she would walk around barefoot. You know, whenever you go to Africa, people say, oh, they have nothing but they have so much joy. Well, I understand that. From our Western eyes, we're thinking about happiness. They don't have shoes, they don't have this, they don't have that, and we say they don't have anything. But the truth is they have actually much more than we can actually think. My grandma used to model this for me so many times. Would try and tell her, Grandma, you need to get shoes and wear your shoes. And she says, why do I want to wear shoes? I want to walk on the red dirt so that I can feel the connection with the earth. And then we tell her, Grandma, how about we give you some running water in your house? She says, why do I need running water? I want to take my pail and go to the river so that I can have fellowship and meet people and talk to them about the love of Christ. Her perspective was not making things easy. It wasn't happiness. She said, every time I carried my water on my back, I felt or I remembered the agony that Jesus had as carried his he carried the cross on his back for me. And he said, they have nothing. They actually have much more than we can actually think they do. But we are caught up in our Western thinking that they need a new house, they need new things, they need it. We just think of happiness, but we don't think about joy. That is true joy. How I pray that this season you can find true joy that is found devoid and, and, and irrespective of anything else. The only condition for joy, my friends, is God's presence. I pray that this season you may find God's presence and you're going to lose it. How do we lose it? Being aware of it is, a one, is step number one. We lose it through others. Who are the people in your life that make you lose your joy? Because there are some people who make you lose their, your joy. Can you be conscious of it this season? And whenever you see them, you say, God's presence be with me. You can lose it through depending on yourself, thinking that you can control everything. You're trying to control everything and you're trying to do all the right things and controlling everything. And you're going to lose your joy. You can lose it by being so caught up in your past and being worried about your future that you have no present in which you can be present in. But what if you realize that the present is the presence of God and that His presence is enough, is a, is, is a present enough for you? How I pray that this season, during it all, you don't lose it through others. You don't lose it through depending on yourself. You don't lose it through um, being caught up in your past. So how can we find it? 
One of the ways that we can find it is through surprising aspects and surprising things. One of the things that I, I realized is the story of Christmas came to very marginalized people. Mary and Joseph and Anna and Elizabeth and Simeon. Simeon was old. Mary was a young virgin who was claiming that she has been pregnant, was, was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Joseph was this young man who had a fiancé now who's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. It was dysfunctional. It was wacky, you know? But you can find joy in wacky things, in wacky people. Because when you look at the story of Christmas, we find it through people like Elizabeth and people like Anna and people like Simeon and people like Mary and Joseph. These are the surprise guides through Christmas. How I pray that this season you may find joy through surprising aspects. You can find it in the poor and the marginalized. This is one place that I find it so much more than any other place. We were in Santa Ana Courthouse feeding the homeless recently. And one of the people who was with my team went and told one of the homeless people and says, Hey, Mag, how can I pray for you? And Mag looks at her and laughs and says, How can I pray for you? And Sophia goes like, What do you mean pray for me? I want to pray for you. And Mag says, Mag, the homeless guy says, Let me pray for you. Because I've been given the strength and the ability to withstand the streets. You, I want to pray for you that you're able to come back. Truth from the homeless people. The poor, the marginalized, the forgotten is a place that we can find profound, profound joy. Generosity is another one. Radical generosity where we can give during this season. We love to give gifts. But what does it mean to give something even deeper, which is your time, and to give of yourself? It's very easy. I've come to realize it's easier for Americans to give things than it is to give you time. You might even, it's easier to give money than even to give your time. This season, I pray that you can find a moment that you can give of your time, you can give of, your, of, of who you are, that as you're having Christmas, that you can invite the, the international students that are in your area, the people who are forgotten, that may not have a place, and therein you might find joy. And then joy is also found in suffering. Look at what it says in James 1, 2 to 4. It says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of all kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You see, friends, God whispers to us in our pleasure, but he shouts to us in our pain. Sometimes during the most difficult time is when we feel God's presence. Whenever we are partying and going crazy, we don't feel it. But whenever we're going through difficulty and hard time is a moment for us to be able to experience God's beautiful joy. So this Christmas, my joy, my, my, my prayer for you is that your mundane, routine things may be interrupted by this mighty Christmas, may be interrupted by the knowledge that the presence of Jesus is with you, that what is ever so slightly mundane will become ever so divine and, 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 and beautiful. You see, happiness makes you smile for a moment, but joy makes you, fills your soul. You see, happiness is lying on the beach and enjoying that. But joy is knowing who made the waves. Happiness is the recognition in all you do, so people recognize you. But joy is being loved for who you are. Happiness is drowning your sorrows for a moment. Joy is letting it go forever. Happiness is in the moment. Joy is eternal. Happiness is fleeting. Joy is eternal. So this Christmas, would you for one moment just stop and allow yourself to be overwhelmed by this incredible, beautiful joy that comes from the revelation that Jesus 
God's presence is with us, is, is with us, and He is the gift of grace that you cannot work for, you cannot earn. It's given to you. Look at these words that we sing over and over again. You'll hear it so many times this Christmas. I pray that these words will be more meaningful for you today. Read this with me. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. Joy. What is joy? Jesus, who is the gift of grace. I pray that that joy may permeate your hearts. And what's our role? To receive. Would you this morning receive, or this afternoon, receive that presence of Jesus, that as we go out of here, we can go out like people will wonder, what's wrong with those guys? Their circumstances have not changed, but they, can, they have a, a deep understanding of this whole word, joy. I pray that joy has come. Would you now receive it? So as we sing this song, would you please stand up and sing this powerful truth with a new found revelation. <laughs> 